Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. Okay, so today we're going to talk about, today we're going to form, we're going to end talking about now severance today. Ha <laughs> You believe it? Hard to believe. So, uh, yeah, that's, today we're going to end by a short little bit of analysis of brain, so we'll get into correlation and regression today. Um, so what we're going to talk about today are when you have unequal cell sizes or empty cells. If you've noticed, whenever I've talked about any of this stuff, I've said N, N equals 2 or N, N equals 4. So I'm just working under the assumption always that you have the same number of subjects per cell. Um, most designs, in fact, assume equal ends. Uh, the math works a little bit more easy with equal ends. Uh, the simplest, the simple one-way ANOVA doesn't need equal ends uh, to do the math. Let's see how about equal ends. It's just, you know, because, and it happens, a lot of you guys, there's a couple people in here, uh, a couple, no, just one person doing honors thesis this year. Uh, Carly, did you manage to get equal ends in all your groups? I'm still collecting. Yeah, but that's your plan, right? But right now I do. Yeah, I, and of course I'm sure, uh, you know, your goal is probably to, Steve, it makes life a lot easier. Yeah. Um, so what would you do? Well, one of the things you can do, and I've seen people do this, and they have unequal cells, is that they estimate the missing values. Or use the mean of the median, right? So that's a way to estimate the missing numbers. Now, would you include just main effects there? So if you're going to make up a number, are you going to say, okay, the number that I'm, I'm going to make up a number for, for the, the things I'm missing? Well, I know what the grand mean is. I can just calculate that by looking at it. Uh, I can figure out what the main effects are. Let's say it's a two by two. Sure, that's easy to do. Do I assume there's an interaction or not? I don't know. So it's a question. There's different ways of going about it. There's nothing wrong with doing either. I'm just saying these are issues you have to take into account if you are going to estimate things. Um, no matter what you do when you're making, when you're estimating values, keep in mind you've lost degrees of freedom. So you can. I, a friend of mine reported to me once that, that, that one of the things that happened to him is he was editing, well, like being a, an action editor on a, on a paper, so you like a referee. So you get the paper in the mail, and you, or at least in the mail now in an email, and you read it, and you make criticisms, and it goes back to the author. And he said, he said, you know, um, one of the conclusions was that they needed more, well, one of the, his criticisms was, you know, you really should have collected more data, you had something interesting here, it was going in the right direction, but you didn't have enough statistical power. So what they did is they just doubled the size of the n. They just said we estimated twice as, two times more, which of course increases the degrees of freedom. But of course it doesn't because you don't have degrees of freedom when you're making up numbers. Uh, that was just mind-boggling that someone tried that. Well, we made up some more data. Does that help? No, no, it doesn't. If you make up data, which is what you're doing when you're estimating values that you don't have, you don't get degrees of freedom from them. You got to keep that in mind. You're basically losing degrees of freedom. Now, there are other ways to do this which are a lot less nefarious, really, than estimating missing values. Um, most of our analyses we've talked about, in fact, the analyses I've shown you with when I do, you know, partitioning sums of squares and degrees of freedom, those are called type 1 sums of squares. Okay? They're perfect if the ends are equal, and in fact, the classical sort of version of analysis of variance that Fisher came up with involved having equal ends. They're actually not really good when the ends are equal, because in fact, if you notice, you had to put you know little n in front of some of the. Well, what do you use for little n? If there's five in this group, twelve in this group, six in this one, and four, who knows, right? So it doesn't work well when you have unequal ends for type one sums of squares. You could use type two sums of squares. I'm not going to tell you how the equals are calculated. They involve matrix algebra. I'm just going to leave it alone. Um, they're good when you have what I'm calling a missing value. I mean an unequal n. Okay? They're good when you have unequal ends. They work. Um, they take care of that. Uh, again, it's matrix algebra. I'm not going to go, go get into it. It's horrible stuff. Computers do this for you. 
unless you really like doing matrix algebra by hand. Yeah. Nobody does, really. Um, but if there's an interaction, they don't work. I'm not saying you can't calculate them. I'm saying what they're trying to estimate doesn't work properly. How do you know if there's an interaction? You haven't done the analysis yet. Oh. Well, they're good if you can look at something and very clearly see there's no interaction. I guess you could use type twos. Um, you could actually use type threes. It's probably the best way. And in fact, when SPSS does it, it uses type three subscripts. squares. It's not using type ones or type twos. Um, it, their work well if there's interactions or not. They don't care. And again, they're using matrix algebra. Um, so if you always use type 3 sums of squares, you're safe. And in fact, if you ever use a computer program, you always are using type 3 sums of squares. Okay? Um, we've learned about type 1 analysis because the logic of it makes sense. Um, and because we didn't want to have to require you all to have taken matrix algebra. Um, so... You might be saying, well, why are you teaching us this about type 1 sums of squares? Well, in fact, the nice thing is if there's the n's are equal, the type 1 value is equal, the type 2 value is equal, the type 3 values. So, frankly, it doesn't matter. Okay. So it's not like this is a failed model. It's not like this is the, the model of the atom with the, with the, with the electrons ne neatly circling the uh, nucleus. It doesn't actually work that way. We know the atoms aren't actually like that, right? Eventually learn that. You get to like chemistry in the final year of high school or physics and they say, that's all bullshit. We just it's a decent model. Not really true. And you go, oh. And then somebody asks, why didn't you teach us it? And the teacher says, Would you think you could have understood quantum probability clouds when you were in grade nine? Okay, this is just my experience apparently. Okay, so anyway. We talk about this because, frankly, if the ends are equal, these are all the same. And this is why a lot of times you're going to be doing things when you're doing post hoc analyses and that, where you have to throw the, the mean squares in, do them by hand. It just is easier if your ends are equal. Okay? So doing type threes in the software is fine because they look exactly if you, like you would have done them by hand with type ones. Now, there is another type of sum of squares. They're called type four sums of squares. Of course they are. I've never heard of a type 5. This is the last time type I've heard of. These are for empty cells. What is an a design with <coughs> empty cells? This is a design that actually is missing a whole cell of data. There aren't any data points. No data points. So you have, you know, I don't know, you know something like this. And then you have a cell mean here, and a cell mean here, and a cell mean here, and absolutely nothing here. Yeah? Just curious, but why would you do that? Because you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you do that, um, why would that happen? It could be because you ran out of money when you're doing your study. It could be because it's an a condition that's very difficult to get. It could be because you really don't know what you're doing. And typically, I, I remember, um, I think I've told you guys that I, a bunch of us would make a little bit of money on the side being statistical consultants when we were in graduate school because you could make, you could try to rent yourself out for $200 an hour because you knew more than people. <coughs> and a guy uh, in the same building as the animal, where the animal learning built people were at U of T was at the, uh, the IBEC. It was weird. Now and then you'd see a guy, a cab driver, show up carrying a cooler, and you knew it was a cooler full of human eyes for cornea transplants and stuff. So it's kind of awesome. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of cool in a way, but in a way also weird. Um, he, he called me and he said that uh, he talked to Ian Spence, who was the I told you Ian my stats prof. He said he talked to him and he said that, uh, that I was just upstairs and could I come down and consult him? And I said yes, it would be two hundred dollars an hour. Of course I'll do it. <laughs> so I come down and he's, he tells me his design something to do with eyes. And we're laying it out, and it was a much more complicated design than this. And I'm saying, okay, so you got subjects. He said eyes. I said, yeah, I'm going to call them subjects because <laughs> he's testing all these things with eyes. I said, okay, so you got subjects here, and you got this condition here, and this one here, and this one here, and this one here. So okay, you've got a, what's called a hierarchical design. It's going to be hard to interpret, but it will be doable. I understand. I said, oh, so what about the uh, subjects here? He said, oh, we couldn't get any eyes there. I said, but 
what are you going to do then? He said, well, I thought you could deal with that. I said, well, I'm not actually magic. Uh, I can't just, how do we know what's going to happen here? I said, I can, oh, I can come up with a solution for you. They'll be statistically very sound. I said, but I wouldn't. Don't thank me in the paper. <laughs> you know, I normally I would say, it's $3 an hour and I want to acknowledge Just a little, and I thank Dave Rodbeck for statistical advice. I said, I don't want anything to do with this. Uh, I did, I got 200 bucks though. Um, it came me in cash, so I don't know, <laughs> I didn't write a receipt. I'm not really sure how it ended up working, but I never paid tax on it, so it all worked out. <laughs> but it's interesting. So that's what happens there, and this guy, it's because he wasn't very, he, I'm sure an incredible eye researcher, but he knew nothing of experimental design. And the experiment was done. Funding was over. And I'm like, look at him going, buddy, you just blew a lot of money in a bunch of dead people's eyes. You know, because um, there's no unique solution. I can make an argument here. Oh, what, what do you think this should be? Sure, why not zero? Yeah, fair enough. What else? Oh, I know. How about five? It looks, it's intuitively pleasing. There's a five there. Hmm. Or what about, oh, what about there's an effect, a main effect of B going up by five? So it's like that. That's also a good answer. So is that. <laughs> they're, they're all perfect. You can't argue with me because we have no data. Right? So there's no unique solution in the neat thing or the creepy thing or the weird thing or the mathematically odd thing about doing type 4 sums of squares analyses is it depends on the order that you calculate the main effects and interactions on what value you get for the sums of squares. It doesn't come up with a unique solution because it can't come up with a unique solution because there is no unique solution. So, so don't do that. Don't do that. Right? Like I said, what goes there? I don't know. I mean, like I said, it looks, it, all, it looks intuitively pleasing to put a 4 there, or you could put a 0 there, or you could put 4, 2, 2. Well, maybe there's more 2s than 4s. So how about another 2 there just because of democracy? <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's nothing you can really, you can't really make an argument, or you can, about everything. I think a 7 also looks good there, because if I don't know the answer, I'm going to guess 7. Right? So, yeah, don't do that. The only solution, if I had this, if this was a, the, the design I had, I would say I would do a one-way analysis of variance and consider that three groups. And tell you to stop worrying about interactions and main effects and just say, look, we have three groups now. Because it's all you can do. Right. But in the case with the eyes, like he had this very complicated design with like one between, one within, and, and a nested factor. And he had like a bunch of empty cells. It's like, dude, you can't do that. You know, one missing data point I can deal with. A whole cell missing is like you just didn't know what you were doing. You know, so he got to sit there and be berated by a 24-year-old graduate student who then demanded $200. <laughs> so don't do that. All right, so it's, it's, it's something I wanted to just mention at the end of the Anova part because it does come up. But really, our big reason to be here today, <laughs> that was more like the opening act. This is the main event now in our festival of statistics is correlation and regression. I know this is review because Dwayne has talked about that, right? Or whoever taught you stats. You learned about correlations, right? Right? And a little bit about simple regression. Like a little. I'm not talking about a lot, but enough that you've heard of it. Kind of like you heard of ANOVA, but you didn't think that it, you didn't think we could spend seven weeks on it, did you? <laughs> right, but you can. In fact, we could have spent more. So, let's talk about correlation simple regression. Um, everything we've talked about so far has looked at differences between means, between group means, right? That's what, we, that's what we've been doing. It's our thing that we do. You can also look at mean differences, group differences, as relationships between independent and dependent variables. 
So just think about this. We, we graph something up, you know, even just simple, the simplest possible design. And we see that as A increases, dependent variable increases. It's a relationship, right? Now, you maybe wouldn't draw the connect the dots. I'm not sure. But the point is, you can see, you see what I'm saying? Like that as A increases, so does the dependent variable increase. You can see that. If you have a continuous variable, the relationship is actually quite easy to see. So a continuous variable or something that has many, many levels, something that's, you know, de facto continuous, uh, height or, or IQ or income or something like that, right? Okay, here's a scatter plot. I love scatter plots. Scatter plots are a great EDA tool. This is made up data. There's no way. It's, it's a shame, I think, that the world isn't like this uh, exactly because the relationship between IQ and income is not quite that tight. If only it were so. But we have IQ scores and we have income in thousands of dollars. Or tens of thousands, sorry. Yeah. Okay? I, I made these up, that's clearly not real. Because the world isn't that just. <laughs> Because as we know, uh, the, kid, the singer kid from Stratford made $50 million last year, right? Justin Bieber. Did you see that thing when he's doing the deposition? That's great. And he doesn't even know what it is. He goes, you call this journalism? It's like, no, it's a deposition. You're talking to a lawyer, you stupid little asshole. <laughs> you call this journalism? It's almost like... He's as dumb as Zoolander, but <laughs> it's not funny. See, that's the thing. Like, if he was Zoolander, you could forgive. He could go, you know, it, what kind of center do you... <laughs> is this... <laughs> you think, what, he's three times bigger. Uh, <laughs> that's what he's like. He even kind of talks like that. He makes the face, too. He does. <laughs> but... I love that movie. It's a horrible movie, but it's so funny. Like most Ben Stiller movies, it's really not that good, but I watch it over and over again. But we see something like this, where we have something like IQ, which, yeah, is it, is it continuous? Not really, but it's, it's got a lot of different values. Same with income. It's not really a continuous variable. It's got a lot of different values. We could certainly divide people up into low and high IQ groups and look at their income and do an ANOVA and see a difference, but I think we would rather look at something like this. So the scatter plot is, of course, a very useful exploratory data analysis. <coughs> uh, if you're doing anything with continuous variables or anything like that, the scatter plots are really useful. It gives you a feel for your data. There's nothing, and you lose no richness in the data. It's great just for that. Um, the thing is, we need a way to standardize the variable relationships, even if they have different scales. So we want it to be the case that if we're saying that income and IQ, and if we're measuring income in Canadian dollars, American dollars, euros, pounds sterling, or Israeli shekels, I don't know, Central African francs, or various other bitcoins. Rupees. Rupees? We could go with rupees. Dogecoins. You heard there's a new cryptocurrency now about that whole doge thing called the dogecoin? <laughs> Western society is almost dead. Just saying. So it shouldn't matter if we measure it. We should always get the same number. We need a way to standardize that, right? Or if we're doing height and weight, my height and weight, if I'm going to get some measure of how height and weight hang together, it shouldn't matter if I'm measuring my height in centimeters or inches or tenths of a meter, and my weight in pounds, or kilos, or in stone, like they do in England. <clears throat> what do you weigh? Oh, four stones! What? What the hell is it? Oh, stone is 14 pounds. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. That's great. Four stone wouldn't be very much. So, 
one of the things we can look at is covariance. And that's how much two things, two variables vary together. And that's how you, I, you could use this as an answer to a question on a quiz when I said, what is covariance? You could give me this. That's fine. You can certainly do that. I, I, you know what? I, I don't care about you memorizing variables because co what covariance does is it's seeing how much variance in one variable is shared with variance in another variable. You have to start thinking about variance as a thing, and that's a hard thing to do. It's think about variance as something you can touch, something you can kick. And I know it's a weird quantity to think of that way because it's about spread outedness. But you have to start thinking variance as a thing. So covariance, how much we our x value varies from, and it's xy pairs obviously for covariance, right? So income in, in, in IQ or whatever. So how much your x value deviates from its mean, how much the y value deviates from its mean, we, and we multiply those and sum them together. This should just look vaguely like a variance calculation. Think about a variance calculation. It just looks like this, right? Doesn't it? So that looks like one, except we're using both variables, x and y. This measures the degree to which two variables vary together, where it measures their shared variance. <coughs> the mathematically sophisticated among you should note that if x and y was actually the same number all the time, this quantity would end up being 1. If deviations from x and y go in the same direction, you get a positive. Uh, no, they wouldn't. Yeah, I think you would get one. Uh, deviations from x bar and y bar go in the same direction, you get a positive covariance. Otherwise, it's negative. So unlike a regular variance, covariance can be positive or negative. Yeah. Yeah, this is, sorry, that needn't be one. I'm wrong. If it's if it's if they're the same variable. I think. Could be wrong. But if as x if if x is always above x bar and y is above y bar, or x is below x bar, y is below y bar, that means as x goes up, y goes up. As x goes down, y goes down. You get a positive value for your covariance. You get a negative value if as one goes up, the other one goes down. So again, unlike a regular variance calculation, a covariance can have a negative sign. The sign itself, however, only indicates direction. It does not indicate anything other than direction. Okay. This may be something you've seen before. I'm not sure. Probably not. But we don't just want to measure of how much overlapping variance there is. We want to see how much things are associated, like, so we want to standardize this, so covariance and the scales don't matter. So this, let's take out the effect of measuring income in dollars versus income in cents. There's more variance in the numbers. The number's higher. It's a great deal higher. It's a thousand, ten thousand times higher if we measure in cents rather than dollars, right? Nobody measures their income in cents, so it sounds really good. You measure income in cents. You know, would you make that last year? Well, uh, about a million cents. Sounds pretty good. Covariance, as you would guess, depends on S sub X and S sub Y. In other words, it just depends on the variance of X and Y. That makes sense. So, what if we divide by that? We'll now divide by S sub x and S sub y. We'll take the covariance, divide by that, and we'll get a value, a measure of association. And in fact, we get the Pearson product moment correlation coefficient. Or the Pearson R. Okay, it's the covariance of x and y divided by S sub x times S sub y. And this is the case where this thing, if they're exactly, you're measuring the same thing, you're going to get one point. 
if the absolute value of the covariance of s uh, of x and y equals s sub x times s sub y, then the absolute value of r is one. You have a perfect relationship. You have this. Because when you have a perfect relationship, that's saying, in fact, they're both measuring the same thing. Right? Some of you guys that have taken or are taking your pharmacology know that the uh, D2 binding, uh, receptor binding efficiency of an antipsychotic drug, uh, and if the effective dose for 50% of the population, the correlation coefficient there is 1.0, basically, with 0.99, which tells us that, in fact, the reason that antipsychotic drugs are effective is because they block D2 receptors, right? Because they're measuring exactly the same thing. It's the same thing. My height in centimeters and my height in inches correlate, or in your, all of our heights, rather, the correlation is 1.0 because you're measuring the same variable just with different scales. My income in bitcoins and my income in rupees and all of ours, 1.0. Nice and pretty. Or doge coins, yes. Look it up. It's real. <laughs> I'm going to start my own digital currency, Dave Coin. I have all of them, and they're worth a billion dollars. Starts to just say that. I guess how it works, right? With Bitcoin, you just say something's worth the solution to a mathematical problem is worth money, and everybody goes, really? It's kind of wacky. <clears throat> So the sine of r only tells us the direction because remember this, we positive or negative. So as one variable goes up, the other variable goes up. That's a positive correlation. As one goes down, the other one goes up. That's a negative correlation. r can only be between negative 1 and positive 1. It can't be greater. If it is, you made a mistake. Or the software made a mistake. Hardly anybody ever calculates these by hand anymore. They're a real bitch to calculate. <clears throat> You can only really make a lot of mechanical errors because of all the painters. You know, it's really an easy way to make a mechanical error. Uh, a question I used to use on, on stats quizzes 21-26 when I taught it would always be, you know, uh, I was, Kenny has calculated three coefficient, correlation coefficients. Which one is biggest? 1.4, negative 0.7, or positive 0.4? And the answer is negative 0.7 because 1.4 isn't a correlation coefficient. It's a mistake. And positive 0.4 is actually a smaller correlation than negative 0.7. Negative 0.7, it just says that one goes up, the other one goes down, but it's tighter around the line than positive 0.4. Remember, straight lines only. Straight lines only. Straight line relationships. So you can have a relationship to look like this. This is a pretty one. Oh, I don't know, how about the Yerkes Dotson Law? You know, the one about the amount of uh, uh, anxiety you have and your test performance. And we can measure that. It's a bit jiggy with it. Um, that, if we get a correlation coefficient on that, we get zero. <coughs> Even though, look, it's beautiful. It's a pretty relationship, right? But it's parabolic. So if you did the covariance calculation, it wouldn't work. Even though you they clearly share variance, we can see that. But you, you, so it's always straight lines. Only straight lines. No curves. No curves. Uh, how do we know that? Well, this is where scatter plots come in handy. You, if you did that, collect those data, which I wouldn't do that for your honors thesis, it's been done. It's already got a name. It's named that. It's got a law. Yerkes Dotson Law. You don't have to rediscover it and go, oh, it's the Jenny Thompson Law. No, it's not going to work. I take you to the Yeah, it doesn't work. Don't make that your thesis next year. Damn, she's saying, I was going to do that. But the point is, 
if you did a correlation coefficient, or sorry, you did a scatter plot, you looked at that, this is when you come to your, whoever your supervisor is, and your supervisor then says, there's a way to deal with this. And there is, there's a way to do correlations that aren't straight lines. It's just the typical way we use is a Pearson R, and it wouldn't work here. There's other ways. So it's not like, well, I know there's something there, but it's beyond the scope of my understanding. No, there's ways to do it. It just isn't something we talk about typically in courses like this. Okay. You know what would be cool? It would be cool if you'd be able to predict y from x. So if uh, you gave me your years of education, I could predict your income. And I don't mean just by going, reading your palm or looking at some tea leaves or various other bunk. I mean actually putting into an equation and saying, I'm going to make a guess here. I'm going to say your income would be something like this. Okay. That would be useful. Kind of like if you go to a, you ever go to a doctor, you ever go to the MD, you know the doctors that don't do a thesis? And you go to them and they say, they, they weigh you and they, they take your height and then they say, well, you should lose some weight. Because they never say, you never show up to the doctor and go, you know, we really should start eating more fried food and milkshakes. Because you really have to put on a few pounds. It doesn't happen. So, what are they doing? They're making a prediction of, base of, of your weight based on your height. It's exactly what they're doing. So, obviously, there's a way to do this, or doctors wouldn't be able to be self-righteous jerks telling you to lose weight all the time. Well, you know, you really should lose some weight. Well, really, why don't you lose your attitude? <laughs> Actually, I shouldn't. Our doctor's great. She's wonderful. She's never been self-righteous like that at all. No, I don't go to the doctor. So it works out. <laughs> I go when I'm sick. Ow, it hurts. I go to the doctor. It's probably stupid. I probably should get more checkups. Anyway, be able to predict Y from X, which is exactly what the MDs do. Basically, we should be able to draw a line. Well, we can draw a line through a scatter plot. We need a scatter plot, though. Let's I'll have to fix this. Let's make it again because we're going to make a straight line. So let's just uh, there. Go. Here, like that. There we go. Okay, that's good. So there's some. There's a scatter plot. Feel free to draw your own. Um, see, the thing is, you can just draw a line through it to make a prediction. And that's actually probably a pretty good line, but why is it any better than this one? Or this one? Oh, this one looks pretty good. Oh, this one's also okay. What about that one? Well, this one's okay. Well, this one's horrible. <laughs> this one here. Well, we can also have no degrees of freedom. We just connect all the dots. It would be a perfect prediction, but we'd have to know everything. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of stupid. So we want to be able to come up with a way we can all come up with a line and all agree on it. And the most common way we do this is what's called a least squares regression line. Okay? It's a least squares regression line. Okay, here's the idea. Whoops, I don't know why that happens. These points are supposed to be on these lines. Um, these are y's. Okay, those are y's. They're, the y's are actual things we've predicted. Uh, sorry, uh, observed. Those are the actual observed values. And then we have our predicted values, and that's the line, and that's called y hat. And yes, it is called y hat because it has a little hat on it. It is not called y circumflex because it's a circumflex accent. I don't know what it's called in French. I think it's called y circumflex, but I like to think it's called y chapeau. <laughs> I don't think it is. So 
Y-axis. Y hat, that's the line. Y are the points. And these points actually, like I said, are supposed to be there. I think it's because this is widescreen and it, when I did this it wasn't or some shit like that. I don't know. So there's Y's and Y hats. We make a prediction. The prediction line is called the Y hat. The actual values are the Y's. These are mistakes. Eh? These are prediction errors. And what we want to do is minimize the sum of y minus y hat squared. Should sound familiar. We're trying to minimize. We've got a sum of squares. Oh, boy, look at that. we got y minus y hat. And of course, the standard thing would happen. You're going to have, it's going to overpredict as much as it underpredicts. That's the kind of line we want. And we do that by minimizing this quantity. It's error. It's just error. We want to minimize the error we make. Okay. Questions so far? Is this okay? Making sense? Like I said, I know, I know you dealt with this in sort of intro stats, but. So you end up with, with a prediction equation. And the prediction equation looks like this. Y hat equals A plus BX. So that's your predicted value. Predicted Y equals the slope. No, that's the, that's the intercept. Oh, see, it's screwed up. Okay. This should say, why did that happen? Well, that's weird, but let's, this is the intercept. This is the slope. D is the slope, not the text. The text. I don't know why that happened. I forgot to write something there. Well, no. I did before. Maybe I didn't. Let's pretend it did it on its own. It, this should be intercept. A is intercept. B is slope. And you're saying, but Dave, when I was in high school, Y equals MX plus B, and M was the slope, and B was the intercept. I don't care. It's not like that anymore. The world's changed, man. Move on. <laughs> It's, I don't know why, they, in all honesty, I wish they wouldn't teach you that way, because as soon as you get to more advanced math or into statistics, they tell that that changes, and A and B are the things we use now. I don't know why. I don't know why. But A is the intercept, B is the slope, B is also, of course, known as the text. No, it's not. It's, it's the slope, it's B. It's the slope of the line. That's horrible. I've got to fix that. I think I say that every year and I don't fix it. That's the problem. I'm not going to fix it. Um, <laughs> how do we find A and B? I will not ask you to do this. Because no one does these by hand. Awesome. <laughs> Why would you, you know, seriously, this is something, again, it's like, can you do use a calculator? That's what I'd be asking you. I may as well just give you a series of multiplication tables and say, do these for me. <laughs> you know. So B is the covariance of X and Y divided by the variance of X. That's how you calculate it. A is Y bar minus B times X bar. That's got a lot of intuitive feel to me for some reason. I get why that is the intercept. I know why that's the slope. I can look at that and see, but this intuitively just makes sense to me. The intercept is just, as you can see here, the intercept is where... Um, X equals zero. Right, because the intercept, remember, well, we put zero in for, for X, Y hat equals A, so it's where, where, where X equals zero. So these things are findable. They're actually not that difficult to calculate, except that they're tedious to calculate by A. Is a lot of because when you're using regression or correlation, you don't have ten data points. You have a hundred. No one does a correlation on ten data points. People do correlations on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And I'm not going to sit there and make you use a calculator that say on assignment. So that'd be silly. It'd just be mean, actually. Now let's interpret one of these equations. So let's say we have some equation 
for, I don't know, Now, what this is, this will be a way to predict the professor's salary. This will be a way to predict an assistant professor's salary. It's not quite right, but it's close. And the intercept, when you have, the X is the number of years. Okay. Number of years in. Oh, uh, this is, it isn't just $60, it would be 60000 there is a little money in this, not a lot, a little. 60,000 plus 4,000 times the number of years. What that's saying is you get a $4,000 raise every year. It's not quite that simple, and those numbers aren't quite correct, but it's, it's not that far off either. It's a little low. Okay. So you could then look and say, how long has uh, Dave been an assistant professor? An associate professor on books. It's a higher pay scale. And hopefully in a couple of years I'll be the final pay scale. It's even higher pay scale. I don't know. I'm with Keo. He's an assistant professor. Right? So there's, it's called the floor or the intercept, right? Because you get zero. Well, x equals zero. And then he's been here for four years, right? Okay. So... That means we can predict then that Dwayne makes that much money. I don't know if that's true. You can, you can actually go look at our collective agreement and figure out how much money Dwayne makes. I mean, it's, it's public knowledge. Okay. That's all very interesting. So it's easy to do, and this, in fact, would be dead on correct, assuming it worked like that. That's not exactly how it works. It's a little more complicated than that. So, where x equals zero is not that meaningful. It's not always that meaningful. So someone that has zero years of experience, right? In this case, it is meaningful. So you can talk about James, or the new guy we hired this year, James Allen. He's an assistant professor. And assuming this was correct, as I said, it's not really correct. You'd say, I know how much money James makes. But, What if we had something like, instead of looking at someone's salary, what if we had, I don't know, what if we were going to predict the number of sex partners someone's had by their age? Sure. That's, that's the be something you can do. Collect data, ask, do questionnaires. It wouldn't be hard to do. I don't know how you do it, but you could. Perhaps you're looking at some subpopulation. I don't know. And you'd have years... You have an intercept, and you'd have number of years times some slope, and you'd get some value. Does putting in zero for number of years make any sense there? Most people at zero years have had no sex partners. You hope. As you're born, you're not having a sex partner. I've never heard of that. You know, I've heard a lot of bad stuff, but that's, I've never heard of that one. Or looking at how many cigarettes people smoke that smokers smoke. Um, obviously not non-smokers, so you're looking at smokers. You look at their age. So you plug in a number and you say, well, I can tell that the average smoker at the age of 20 is smoking X number of cigarettes per day. Let's say it's 15. Pick the number. Does it make sense to throw in zero? Yes, I know there was that smoking baby on YouTube a couple of years ago, but typically babies don't smoke cigarettes. So the intercept is very often not meaningful at all. It's just a mathematical thing. Here it's completely meaningful with calculating uh, a salary like that. It's meaningful looking at height and weight, because if you don't have any height, you have no weight. So it makes some sense. If you're vanishingly small... It needs to be, it needs to be, it needs to be, I don't know why I'm talking like that. It needs to be a linear relationship. 
So you can't have that curvilinear thing. And the Yerkes-Dotson law is one of my favorite things. We see a lot of that drug, uh, drug dose response curves are almost always curvilinear. And we can't use this kind of regression in that situation. Now, I will say this, that you can use a least squares regression technique. It just isn't linear. But you have to then know what the shape of the curve you're trying to fit. So you say, is it a parabola? Is it a half a circle? It could be whatever. And you, so the logic's the same, except the way you do the equations is different because it's not, again, it's not covariance because covariance is about straight lines. Um, one of the things you have to do to see if, now, originally, like how are you going to detect if there's a linear relationship or not? Well, the first thing you can do is a regular scatter plot. One of the other things you can do, <coughs> excuse me, one of the other things you can do is look at what's called a residual plot. Residuals, or E's, they're E for error, they're just the prediction errors, right? They're Y minus Y hat. There's zero. And they should be normally, like, randomly uh, distributed around zero. And it should overpredict as much as it underpredicts. So if we had something like that, we'd be very happy. I mention this because Statistical packages, statistical software will always give you the option of giving you residual plots. One of the other things you could do, though, or you might see is something like this. You took color. So if instead you had a residual plot that looked like this, where instead of like, like that, it goes up and then comes down, you'd say, oh, it's a curve. And you might say, why would I look at that when I just look at the scatter plot? Because eventually we're going to start having more than one one predictor variable. And it gets hard to look at three-dimensional scatter plots. In fact, it gets impossible. You could maybe make a 3D graph, try making a 4D graph. It moves in time, man. Hard to do. The covariance, by the way, of the x variable and the residuals, e, should be zero. And that's something you can calculate. <clears throat> they should share no relationship. As x increases, covariance should not increase or decrease. There should be no relationship at all. And that's something you can calculate. It's a sensitive microphone. I'm like I walk in here. One of the things that people are very tempted to do is go outside the range of the data that are being collected. So, again, let's look here at our assistant professor salary calculator. Well, if you were an assistant professor for 20 years, let's see that it'd be 64 times 20, <laughs> 420, um, 80. <laughs> 80 and 60, wow. For 20 years in, if you're an assistant professor, you make $140,000 a year. You know, it's capped. It's capped to make you try to get promoted. So after, I think, 10 years, you don't get any more pay raises. It just sits uh, at whatever it sits at, whatever the cap is for the system. I don't know because that's not my rank. I know what the cap is for my rank. Go look it up. So that's what I want. The second number's a two. So, fine. Or you could get crazy. You could say, well, if you were an assistant professor for a thousand years, you'd be making billions. You don't live that long. Right? Or with the smoking one, right? You go inside the range, you collect data probably from 18 or any 16 year olds. You don't see a lot of like 12-year-olds smoking anymore. When I was a kid, 12-year-olds smoked. Like kids in grade 7 would smoke. It was a thing. You know, uh, you saw kids in grade 7 smoke. You saw kids at my high school dances in the 80s. The gym was where the dance was. The cafeteria, it was ashtrays. You could smoke there. Because it was a different time. Somehow more civilized, it seemed. But it probably really wasn't. It's probably bad for everyone. But it was funny because, you know, people smoked when they were 12, 13, 14. It doesn't really happen anymore. So you probably go 16, maybe. Uh, to like whatever, 80. 
and you would see this, you get the data, see how many cigarettes people smoke per day. But you don't want to go down to four-year-olds. Well, how many cigarettes do four-year-old smokers smoke? Except for that one episode of, uh, you ever seen this show, Honey, uh, We're Killing the Kids? The show was on the Food Network a few years ago. And it was really stupid. <clears throat> and they would like find people who were really unhealthy with the food they were giving their kids and their lifestyle, and then they would advise them on how to eat better. Stupidest freaking show I've ever seen. But it was funny because they would say, and it was an English show. We've used scientific aging software, Photoshop, <laughs> to show what your children will look like if they keep eating like this for the next 20 years. And they show like a 10-year-old and they age him. And by the time he's 30, he looks like he's 90 because all he eats is, you know, I eat nothing but deep-fried Snickers bars and um, fizzy drinks. That's and they'd always find very often people smoked. And they'd tell the parents, you know, you, you've got to have a change of lifestyle too and you've got to stop smoking. And that would be part of the show. It was a, it was a stupid show. Why do I watch this crap? So the best part, though, is they find this family. It was a single mother and she's got a son. He's 10 years old. And he's a big boy. He's like, uh, by saying he's a big boy, he's obese. I'm being pleasant. I'm figuring the kid's dead by now. Just eight, nine years later. Um, just because of the way he behaved. First of all, this woman didn't know what a green pepper was. That was great. And they were showing her recipes. I've never cooked from fresh before. But the best part was when the woman said, you know, you're going to have to you should start doing some physical activities together to lose some weight, but also you should you have to quit smoking. She's like, right, I understand. And the 10-year-old boy goes, do I have to quit smoking too? <laughs> and the person, the presenter is, and usually, the, you know, these, quote, reality shows are completely, for the most part, bullshit. But she was actually surprised. She went, you as well. But yeah, I've been smoking since I was four. <laughs> and then they show pictures. Mom apparently thinks it's cute and has a photo album of little Timmy or Johnny or Nigel or whatever the hell his name is smoking cigarettes, sucking down butts. He's four years old. And it's not like, I don't know. Again, when I was little, you would, you know, kids, they'll be, again, kids don't pretend to smoke now because most of its parents don't smoke. They do, they go, now, little Nigel's like, he was smoking like he was 40. <laughs> And then they, you know, had a camera in his room, of course, to spy on him, and they show him reaching under the bed, pulling in an ashtray, and having see sneaking his cigarettes. It's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. But that's the one kid. Or that baby again on YouTube a couple years ago. If your baby smoked, would you put it on YouTube? Because I mean, that's just inviting, first of all, not only the bad comments. Right. First comment, of course, would be the one about, as I've always said, it'd be something racist, then something about Obama, and then something about, then the third comment would be first. <laughs> you know, but eventually, I think you'd be called out somehow, and eventually the authorities, you can't say, that wasn't me, because you're standing there going, you're smoking another one, Timmy. Anyway, you can't go outside the range. Right? And it's tempting to do that, because you get this, this, these things are really beautiful, because if you got something like this, now again, this isn't exactly accurate, but it's pretty close, you can then look at that and say, oh, I can figure that out. Or you think of height and weight. You can figure that out. You can look at that and say, okay, I can totally, it, it feels like, because it's math, right? There's pluses and equal signs and multiplication. You look at that and say, I can predict the future. So you want to say something like, I have a friend who weighs a lot, like 400 something. And I thought to myself, you know, if I put that into the regular height and weight equation, he should be 12 feet tall. Well, nobody's 12 feet tall, right? So it's one of those things where you're tempted to do it because it looks, and this is the scary thing about it, it looks like, you've got to be careful with it because it looks so beautiful because it's math. And in, especially as a sort of social science part of psychology, we so often don't have this kind of predictive ability. We usually have what? We have, oh, a correlation of 0.3 between these two variables. Publish. We don't have this equals this. So it's very tempting to over... 
put too much faith in these things. Questions? Okay. On that note, I, we, we will talk more about this. We're going to talk about multiple regression coming up on Thursday. Thanks, guys. Hey. Mm -hmm. my, uh, my neural
This podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.